This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. Let me invite you to take God's Word. Go with me to the Old Testament to Judges chapter number 2. Judges chapter number 2. And uh, we'll begin reading in verse number 1. Judges chapter number 2. And uh, verse number 1. The Bible says, And an angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I made you to go up out of Egypt and have brought you unto the land which I swear unto your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And ye shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land. Ye shall throw down their altars, but ye have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Wherefore, I also said, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be as thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare unto you. And it came to pass when the angel of the Lord spake these words unto all the children of Israel that the people lifted up their voice and wept. And they called the name of that place Bochum, and they sacrificed there unto the Lord. And when Joshua had let the people go, the children of Israel went every man unto his inheritance to possess the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being a hundred and ten years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in timnath in the Mount of Ephraim on the north side of the hill Gash. And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt, and followed other gods of the gods of the people that were round about them, and bowed themselves unto them, and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord, and served Baal, and Ashtaroth. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he delivered them into the hands of spoilers that spoiled them, and he sold them into the hands of their enemies round about so that they could not any longer stand before their enemies. But whithersoever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil, as the Lord had said, as the Lord had sworn unto them, and they were greatly distressed. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges, which delivered them out of the hand of those that spoiled them. I'd like to call your attention to verse number 10. The Bible said, 
in the very middle portion of the verse, and there arose another generation after them. I want to speak to you on the subject this evening of another generation. Another generation. The children of Israel were assembled together. The Bible says an angel of the Lord came up. He came up from Gilgal. Gilgal was the point that they crossed over the Jordan River. It was a place where they carried the stones out of the river and they erected a monument. The Lord said, when your children shall ask in the days to come, what meaneth these stones? I want them to know that God brought you into the land. That I not only brought you out of Egypt, but I brought you in. I performed what I said I would do. I kept my word to my people. I brought you here. And so this will be a, a pillar of stones for remembrance to your children. Bochum means a place of weeping, a place of weeping. And so the angel came from Gilgal. It was a very significant dest- origin of his journey. And he met with the people, and he talked to them, and he told them that they had disobeyed the voice of the Lord, and they wept that day. They wept that day. He asked them, why have you done this? You know, we are all going to stand before God. Every one of us are going to stand before the Lord, and we're going to face him. And we're going to give an account to the Lord. And can you imagine looking into his face and him asking us this question and saying to us, you did not obey me? Why have you done this? We won't have any answers, will we? There'll be no answers. As we come into verse number 8, we see that Joshua, the son of Nun, died. And then we read in verse number 11, and all that generation were gathered unto their fathers. So we find that not only did Joshua die, but all of his generation died. And the Bible tells us that after that, there arose another generation. But there was a problem with this generation. They knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. We hear a lot about generations today, don't we? I think my generation is the generation X. Then you've got a generation Y. You've got the millennial generation. I think the next generation coming up behind the millennials has already been called Generation Z. So there's a lot of talk about generations, and we've seen a lot of change in our country, haven't we? We've also seen a lot of change in uh, the spiritual landscape of our land. Uh, Church attendance is in great decline. Uh, Churches are closing in our country every day. People are leaving ministry. Every day. And we see the temperature, the spiritual temperature of our country is reflected by the immorality that is so prevalent in it. 
And there's no need for me to rehearse all of that to you. You know it. You see it. You hear it. You live in it. Just as Lot's righteous soul was vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. We, we live in this world. We see what's happening. And the danger, though, that we face is, is not that those of you who've been here for a number of years and have been faithful to God are turning away from the Lord. You've already made that decision. The danger that we face is that the generation that is coming up is not serving God like the generation prior. Do you see that tonight? And are you concerned about that? And are you burdened about that? And as, as a church, are we burdened about that? And are we concerned about that? I want you to notice some things, and, and I want to speak to you from my heart this evening as, as the Lord gives me liberty and directs me. But I want you to notice some things. First of all, we see here as we consider this truth of another generation, we see here a disobedient generation. A disobedient generation. In verse number one, the angel of the Lord comes up and he says, uh, in verse number one, I made you to go up out of Egypt and have brought you unto the land which I swear unto your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you and you shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land. Ye shall throw down their altars, but ye have not obeyed my voice. Why have ye done this? Remember what the Lord told them. He said, go into the land and utterly drive out the Canaanites. Now, God is using his people as a tool of judgment against the Canaanites. He had said earlier, the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full, but I will drive them out. We know that the Canaanites had truth because the woman at Jericho, they knew who the true and the living God was. They knew what God had done for his people, and they refused to repent, or at least all of them but her and her family. So we find that God is bringing judgment upon the Canaanites, and God has dealt mercifully with them for a long period of time. By the way, when Jesus comes again, we're coming with him, and he is coming in judgment to bring judgment upon this world. And he is going to rule and reign for a thousand years. And so uh, we find a, a picture of that in, in the conquest of the land of Canaan. And as they went in, he said, here's, here's what you're going to do. Verse 2, make no league with the inhabitants of this land. Throw down their altars. Why did he want their altars thrown down? Because he didn't want their children to get inquisitive about the gods of the Canaanites. He didn't want them to get inquisitive. But they, he said in verse 2, Ye have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Wherefore, because you haven't done this, I said I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be as thorns in your sides, and their God shall be a snare unto you. God is going to use their disobedience as an instrument of, of chastening against them. And so we find this is a disobedient generation. I'm talking about the generation that preceded the generation that arose and knew not the Lord. That generation, Joshua's generation, they were disobedient to God. They did not completely obey God. They did not drive out the Canaanites. In Judges chapter 1 and verse 19, the Lord gives us a glimpse into the reasons why. 
And the Bible says in Judges 1.19, And the Lord was with Judah, and he drove out the inhabitants of the mountain, but he could not drive out the inhabitants of the valley. Why? Because they had chariots of iron. So here we find there were Canaanites whom they feared. They said, we can't defeat them. They've got chariots of iron. Then in Judges 1.28, the Bible says, And it came to pass when Israel was strong. Now they're strengthened. They're able to drive them out that they put the Canaanites to tribute and did not utterly drive them out. In other words, they had a better idea than God. They decided that the tax revenue, uh, by keeping the Canaanites in there, would help them. They made a financial decision. So there, there were the Canaanites, the Canaanites that they feared. There were the Canaanites that they favored because they thought they could benefit from them. And then there were the Canaanites they fellowshiped with. Notice in verse number 32 and 33, but the Asherites dwelt among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land, for they did not drive them out, neither did Naphtali drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh, nor the inhabitants of uh, Bethanath. But he dwelt among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land. Nevertheless, the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh and Bethanath became tributaries unto them. Here we find them not just simply allowing them to live in the land, but they're dwelling among them. They're fellowshipping with them. This is a disobedient generation. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 11, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them, for it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done in secret. And so here we find that there was a disobedient generation. What, what's the big deal? What's the problem? Joshua, you're getting a little carried away. Now, they wouldn't say that to the angel of the Lord, but they might have said it to Joshua. What's the problem? What's the big deal? Moses, what's the big deal here? A disobedient generation. The second thing I want you to see, not only were they a disobedient generation, but they were a dying generation. Notice again in verse 10, the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. Leadership is important, is it not? It's important. All the days of Joshua, here they are. What are they doing? They're serving the Lord. And all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, all that group that came up, as long as their influence was there, as long as their leadership was there, as long as they set the faithful example, what happened? The people served the Lord. But eventually they died. Verse 8, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died. Verse 10, and also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers. So there was a dying generation. I'm 50 years old. I can't believe that. Some of you can't believe that. You, you would have thought I was 30 at the most. 35. I went to McDonald's and the lady said, would you like a senior coffee? <laughs> Mr. Hickman was ahead of me in the drive-thru. <laughs> well, she couldn't see you. Because when she asked me, I was at the drive-thru unless they've got cameras there now. I said, well, certainly, if you want to give me a senior coffee, I'll take one. I paid 63 cents for my coffee. <laughs> Hallelujah. I can't believe how much time flies by. I'm thinking to myself, if the Lord gives me 20 more years, I hope he gives me more than that, but if he gives me 20 more years... That's going to be over pretty quick. 
I hope he gives me more than that. I, I really do. I hope I get to pastor this church for the, for the rest of my life. I, 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 I pray the Lord let me do that. I want to. Some of you might be disappointed with that. I'm sorry. God willing, that's what I want to do. But time's moving. I'm not a young guy. What about the next generation? If I've got 20 years, if I've got 30 years, I'll be 80 years old in 30 years. If I have strength and mind and I'm able to go, I want to go. But that's not long. What's going to, what, what is our church going to look like in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years? Can I, get, can I tell you something? There are a lot of churches who will no longer exist in 10 years, in 20 years. And especially among our ilk, independent Baptist churches, as the congregations are aging and we're not reaching young people, what are we going to have left? Are you, are you concerned about that? Are you burdened about that? I, I am. Tom Rayner is a church growth consultant, not just a growth consultant, but he consults with churches. Recently, he published a little article on six reasons why some churches chose death over revitalization. I was encouraged by Brother uh, Baker when he was here during the missions conference that they're going to have a church revitalization conference at Ambassador Baptist College. I think that's needed. I think, I think the, the cause of Christ is strengthened when, the, when there are not less churches, there are more and when the churches that are existing and, and in decline are revitalized, and, and I think our town, our state, our nation is, is helped by the witness of the gospel and the light of the truth of God's word. So I was really encouraged to hear that. And then I came across this, uh, this uh, article. In it, he gave a number of reasons uh, which he discusses uh, about why some churches are dying instead of revitalizing. Not all of them would apply necessarily to us, but I thought a few of them did. Not that I think our church is dying. I don't think our church is dying. I, I don't want to paint that picture to you. I'm trying to communicate to you, though, that we need to keep a burden for the next generation. So if you go out of here and say that I said the church is dying, you have misconstrued my statements. I'm telling you that around the country churches are dying. But I would say this to you, we're not exempt from the same problem that other churches are having, are we? So we need to be vigilant, right? How many of you think you know what I'm saying tonight? Thank you. So here's what he said. The four reasons that I, I, I thought were, were, were uh, reasonable. Number one, he said uh, he's got it in, in the, as if he's identifying with them. 
He said, we didn't know we were dying. We didn't know we were dying. That's one. I, I know of a church in Charlotte. They're just down to a handful of people. The pastor's in his 90s. He's sick and can't hardly be in the pulpit. And they don't know what to do. And day by day, they're dying. We didn't know we were dying. Number two, we were, we were just uncomfortable with what we needed to do differently. You know, any change at all. By the way, change is hard, isn't it? It's hard. But do you know as long as you live and breathe, you're going to have changes in your life, changes in your family, changes on your job, changes come. And oftentimes we become entrenched and we're, we're not comfortable with change. I remember when we brought Brother Odom onto our staff, there were some people uncomfortable about that. He was uncomfortable with that. I was uncomfortable with that at times in the decision-making process. Some of you were uncomfortable with that. I remember talking to someone who said to me, I just don't know what it's going to be like. I'm just a little afraid of how it's going to go. <laughs> and uh, that's change, right? But we know God led us in that decision, and we're really glad we made it. Amen? I was thinking about that today and uh, how God directed us in that. How God sends people at different times because God has a plan and God knows what he's doing. And if we'll just be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and obey God, if we'll obey the Lord, if we'll obey the Holy Ghost, God will lead us and he'll take care of us. Some are uncomfortable with change. And he said, these are four reasons these churches are dying. They didn't know they were dying. They were uncomfortable with change. Number, number three, they were angry. I don't know necessarily what they're angry about, but I would know that I have met some angry Christians. Ask them how they're doing, they're going to tell you. We could have ten people walk the aisle and they wouldn't be happy. Do you know that? Angry, bitter, unhappy Christians. And don't let that happen to you. And don't let that voice in your ear. Here's another one. We're tired. We're tired. We've been there. We've done that. It's time for somebody else to do it. We're backing off. How can we afford to do that? I, I'm not talking about going night and day in some way where we neglect our family, we neglect our bodies. But listen, how can we get tired of serving the Lord? Now, I tell you what we will get tired of. We'll get tired of serving ourselves. We'll get tired of serving for ourselves, you know, for our self-worth or for our self-aggrandizement, you know. Sometimes people want position and influence because it makes them feel good. That's a sinful motive. And, and sometimes when that is our motive, the Holy Spirit can reveal that to us, and we can get really tired really quick. If we're just basing what we're doing on results, we'll get tired. 
Because you can work and work and, and, and seemingly see very little results. And then there are other times when it seems like you don't lift a finger and God's blessing and things are happening. And so Rainer says, these are the major reasons that churches are dying. They say, number one, we didn't know we were dying. <laughs> number two, we were uncomfortable with the change that was necessary to keep us from dying. Number three, we just got a lot of angry people. And number four, we, we're tired. And I think we need to be aware of the potential for those dangers and be vigilant, right? A dying generation. They're passing off the scene. Number three, a departing generation. A departing generation. The Bible says in verse 10, there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord. They didn't know the Lord. Didn't know him. I, I, I want to say it's not that they didn't know about him but they didn't know him personally. They didn't have a relationship with him. He wasn't real to them. And because he wasn't real to them, because they didn't know him personally, because they were not stretched to exercise faith in him, this generation, notice in verse 11, did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. They served the gods of the Canaanites. Verse 12, and they forsook the Lord God of their fathers. They forsook the Lord. That's step number one in this departing generation. They forsook him. Why should I read the Bible? Why should I pray? Why should I go to church? Is that really important? They forsook the Lord. They found other things to do. Notice what the Bible says here in verse 12. They forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt, and they followed other gods, other gods of the people that were round about them. So they forsook the Lord and they followed other things. What are the gods that we worship today? Self, pleasure, materialism, you name it. We're not bowing down to images. We're not worshiping images, but we're worshiping self. We're worshiping materialism. That, that is the God of this age that is the God of the United States of America. The prosperity gospel is alive and well, but it is a false gospel. It's a false gospel. So they forsook the Lord and they followed other gods. They wanted to feel good. They wanted to be excited. They wanted to be a part of something that seemed fresh and new. And they forsook the Lord to follow these other gods. And then the Bible says they, they fell before them. Verse 12, of the gods of the people that were round about them and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. They forsook the Lord, they followed after these other gods, and it wasn't long, they're falling before them and they're worshiping them. Their complete devotion is away from God and to these other gods. They're departing. They're departing. Churches like ours are seeing people depart by the droves. By the droves. There are churches all across this town that preach a watered-down message and entertain people 
and try to make them feel good and appeal to their flesh and then send them on their way and they say, we're getting the job done. We're not going to be one of those churches by the grace of God. What we believe is the Bible is the word of God and it needs to be preached and it needs to be taught and it needs to be obeyed. And we want to worship God in a way that we believe honors Christ, not in a way that reflects what's happening in the nightclubs. Not something that just appeals to the surface of your flesh, but something that raises the soul into the presence of a holy God. That's why I want to challenge you when we sing on Sunday morning, you take that hymn book in your hand and you read those words and you think about what you're singing to God in heaven and you enter into his presence. I'm afraid sometimes we've just gotten used to singing them and they really bear no meaning to us anymore. May God help us. You see, this generation that departed did so because the generation ahead of them Somewhere along the line, it just got routine to them. It just got mundane. So what expectation would you have for the kids? A departing generation. But notice this, please. Verse 14, not only do we see they were a departing generation, but we see they were a defeated generation. Verse 14, and the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he delivered them into the hands of spoilers that spoiled them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies round about, so that they could not long any longer stand before their enemies. Whithersoever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil, as the Lord had said, as the Lord had sworn unto them, and they were greatly distressed. When you read the rest of the book of Judges, you're going to find out, as you come to the end of the book, you're going to find out two, there's two stories. One is about a priest, and a guy hires him. He says, I, I want to do things my way. I'm tired of going to Shiloh. I'm tired of offering these sacrifices. I've made myself a god. You know, the god of the priests and the Levites, that god that Joshua told us about, I don't really like him. What God is to me is this. He's loving and tolerant and accepting, and, you know, he doesn't care what you do. Or, you know, this is my God. Would you be my priest? And the guy says, absolutely. You got any money? Oh, yes, I'll pay you. And what does he do? He sets up his own worship. You know, we live in a nation where that's happening day by day. Somebody gets a notion, they want to start a church, they go hang a sign out and they figure out a nice cool name like the wind or the, or the, the breeze or the whatever. They got a good idea, they think. They're going to tinker around with the church. They're going to change things. They're going to do things never been done before. 
Don't make it look just like the world so everybody will be comfortable. We're going to make God in our image, and we're going to find people to worship him the way we want to worship him. That's dangerous. That's dangerous. I'll tell you what's just as dangerous. For us to say, well, we're going to do it the right way, you know, and we're going to do it the right way. We're the only people doing it the right way. And let me tell you what, we're doing it the right way. And become so harsh and so cold and so formal and so dead that our children don't see any of the power and presence of God in that. You see, you can walk on both extremes, can't you? Yeah. You can walk on both extremes. So they say, we're going to have our own God. And then before long, here comes the whole tribe of Israel. And they're going to say, hey, we, we kind of like that guy. We kind of like that God. We're going to take him with us, and he's going to become our God for our whole tribe. And that's what happens, idolatry. Then you read that terrible, dreadful story at the close of the book of Genesis about the immorality that was taking place. Do you know that immorality always follows idolatry? What we see going on in our nation, the wickedness and the immorality is because of the idolatry in our land. I remember in the 80s having a discussion with someone that I loved and respected about church music and ministry and I remember that conversation, and I know their perception of me in the 80s when I was about 20 years old was that I was a stick in the mud. Because I don't think you reach young people with rap music. I still don't believe you reach young people with rap music. I believe you reach young people with the gospel, with the love of Christ. They don't need some weaker version of what the world's already given them. I remember having that conversation. I remember the arguments that were made to me. Well, you know, we got to do this if we're going to reach the young people. we got to do this. Well, let me ask you a question. Since the late 80s, when all of this stuff started, and it actually started before then, are the churches today in a stronger condition than they were, or are they in a weaker condition than they were? I mean, don't we have enough time in this experiment to see that the contemporary church movement is not producing strong Christians who love Jesus and follow him? Because our entire nation is sliding away, and the influence of the gospel has grown dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. Has it not? Do you see what I see? And so there's a generation here that doesn't, I mean, they can't stand before their enemies. They're falling in for everything. There's, they don't know how to fight. Don't have any fight in them. They don't have any resilience. They don't have any faithfulness. Somebody says something to them, they get their feelings hurt. What do they do? They go find another church. If that was the case, I would have been married multiple times by now. And so would you, Right? My children would have left my family and household a long time ago.
defeated generation. Look in Judges chapter 3 and verse number 1. Now these are the nations which the Lord left to prove Israel by them. Because of their unbelief, because of their disobedience, God said, all right, I'm going to leave these nations here. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to use them to prove you. I'm going to find out if you love me or not, if you're going to serve me or not. He already knew the answer. He wanted to reveal it to them. Even as many of Israel had not known, they had not known all the wars of Canaan. They didn't fight those battles. You know what amazes me? These guys, that they didn't build anything. They didn't invest a dollar. They hadn't put any blood, sweat, and tears in anything. Want to come into a place and turn it into a nightclub. I got a problem with that, don't you? Hadn't fought any battles, but they want to criticize everything that the other generation has done to make sure they got a place to worship, to build a Christian school. I want to tell you, I respect this church, and I admire you for your faithfulness to God and your steadfastness. Thank you. I don't have a word of criticism to offer you, but I have a word of gratitude to say. But we got a whole generation, and I'm not talking about our kids here, but we got a generation of people today that think they can walk into a place where people have fought the battles and waged the war for years and years, and they just discount it. You see, they didn't know to fight these wars. They'd never been in a battle in their life. Verse 2, only that the generations of the children of Israel might know to teach them war, at least such as before knew nothing thereof. Do you know what God wanted to do? He wanted to teach that young generation how to fight. He wanted to put them in the battle. Do you know there's never a day goes by here when we're not in the battle? I, I, I sometimes talk to the deacons or talk to the staff or talk to Mr. Winstead and Mr. Ridley, and I say, you know, why is this, you know, we need this and we need that. And boy, if we only had this and if we only had that. And do you know what? If we, all, if we had all those things, then we would forget that we needed God. The truth of the matter is we don't need all those things. What we need is God. And when we start thinking about those things and we forget to, and neglect God, God has a way of reminding us we can do nothing without him. And he will allow us to go through some battles in our homes with our kids, in our church, in our community. He will allow us to go through some battles so he can teach us to war and he can teach us the value of it so he can deepen our hearts with, uh, with conviction so that we might stand for him. A defeated generation. Aren't you glad for verse 16? You see, in the midst of a disobedient generation and a dying generation and a departing generation and a defeated generation, in the midst of all of that, guess what? There's a delivering God. Look at verse 16. What's the first word? Nevertheless. In the midst of all that doom and gloom, nevertheless, the Lord, right? What did the Lord do? Well, he raised up judges which delivered them out of the hand of those that spoiled them. Do you know what? I believe God wants to use and is using and will continue to use if we'll be faithful to him. This church in this community, he will raise us up. He has raised us up and he wants to continue to raise us up to deliver this distressed generation. 
And may God help us to be faithful. It's of the Lord. Now, you know, when the Lord raised those judges up, they, they led the people into battle and they overcame the oppressor. Now, there's something about those judges. First of all, God prompted them. He called them. But secondly, God's presence was among them. Verse 18, and when the Lord raised up judges, then the Lord was with the judge. And so we see the prompting of God and the presence of God. And then lastly, we see the power of God. He delivered them. They didn't deliver themselves. He delivered them. And so may God help us to be faithful to him. Are we living in a distressed generation? Yes. Are we experiencing disobedience? Yes. Death? Yes. Defeat? Yes. But God is able, right? Nevertheless, the Lord. Nevertheless, the Lord. What we need is God. We need God's hand to touch us. We need God's hand to raise us up, to empower us by His Spirit, and to help us deliver a distressed generation. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.